In 2017, rock climber Alex Honnold became the first and only person to free solo climb the famed El Capitan, that 3,000-foot vertical rock face in Yosemite National Park. Now, in case you don't know what free solo means, he climbed by himself, no one else to help him, without ropes. Uh, another professional rock climber uh, described Alex's accomplishment by saying, it would be like a world-class athlete who enters the Olympics knowing he either has to win the gold medal or die. That's basically what it is. And they made this award-winning documentary called Free Solo, which is all about Alex's um, trek up the cliff face and how he prepared for it. It followed him in his life, and, and it also uh, had his girlfriend in the documentary. Alex says that he didn't have time to date because he was so focused on you know, really climbing, and then he met this girl, and she's brought a lot of joy into his life, so they go rock climbing together, though she's never been rock climbing in her life until she met him, and so they go to these small climbs, and they use ropes, of course, and, and one time in the documentary, she's belaying him. She's holding the rope, and he's climbing, and she gets distracted, and he falls 20 feet, and he injures himself pretty badly, and as he's leaving the hospital, he says, yeah, I was so mad, I, I thought about breaking up with her because my rock climbing has to come first. Uh, and apparently, you know, he's more afraid of climbing 20 feet and having to trust his girlfriend than he is of climbing El Capitan, free solo, facing imminent death at every moment. And that's a picture of close relationships. It's in our closest relationships that we find the most joy in life, but it's in our closest relationships that we find the most pain in life. And so that's why we're in this series that's all about finding true connection with the people closest to us. And in case you didn't really understand what Alex Honnold did in climbing El Capitan with no ropes, here's a couple of pictures. Just throw them up, guys, there you go. Yeah, that's crazy, huh? Yeah. That make you feel sick just looking at that right there? I mean, that's nuts. And we have a rock wall up here because this rock wall is going to demonstrate what it means in close relationships to be climbing partners. And I, my uh, two uh, youngest sons, Josh and Stephen, are going to be really showing us how to do it here. So Stephen and his wife, Caroline, are members of a rock climbing gym. They love to rock climb. Josh likes to rock climb. And so right now, Stephen is gonna belay Josh. That means that Josh's life is in Stephen's hands. It means that Stephen has a chance to get back at his big brother and take revenge right here. <laughs> but basically, as... It's his first time doing it. We've watched a lot of YouTube videos, though. Okay, he said... It's his first time to, no, I know he's, he's trained in the art of belaying. And so Josh is going to climb the rope, or he's going to climb the mountain. And we have here these holds that are placed all across the climbing wall. And these holds remind me that you can't climb a mountain if it's smooth. And that's the way it is in relationships. There has to be some rocky places. There has to be some difficulties so you can get holds. So go for it, Josh. Let's see how it goes. There you go. Stephen has given him slack, and then as he goes up, he takes up the slack. And so his whole purpose is that if Josh falls, he falls safely. And you can fall in love, but the question is, will someone catch you? And that's what we're seeing right here, that 
Stephen, I really don't know if, Steve, if he did fall, that Stephen could catch him. But we're going to find out. So let's see what happens. So he's, he's looking. Oh, yeah, he's finding the right holds. And without the, those holds, he could never climb up the rock wall. He's almost to the top, guys. He made it. Now, here's the hardest part. Here's the hardest part, and that is, will he trust his little brother? Yeah. Stephen, you're doing a good job. Yes, they survive. Give a big hand, guys. I do think that's a perfect picture of what it means to be in close relationships because you really do have the other person's life in your hands. It is because you really love someone that you allow them the ability to hurt you. And that's why those close relationships are the greatest risk you could ever take. And as you saw, as they belayed, if they were really going up a mountain, then what would happen is one would belay the other one up and then they would tie in up there and then they would pull the other one up. They would let the other one come up as they would belay and back and forth, just keep going on. One would go up, the other one come up, the next would go up. And, and you can only get as high as your climbing partner. And so the goal is to bring out the best in your climbing partner. But I would have to say that close relationships that are deep and strong are a much more dangerous activity than rock climbing because you can be devastated. And yet there's no training for it. I mean, most people are completely unaware of the techniques and the principles and the skills that you need to develop deep communication in a relationship or overcome adversity or resolve conflict. And they're totally unprepared for the obstacles that every close relationship will face, whether it's a friendship or a business partnership or a family relationship or a marriage. Every relationship hits obstacles. And I've mentioned three of them. The first is the mountain of misunderstanding. Most relationships don't have the power to make it over the mountain of misunderstanding. The misunderstandings can quickly pile up as high as Mount Everest. Because you go into a relationship thinking that you're relating to someone who really understands you, who really gets you. But they don't understand you at all. No one really understands you because you don't even understand yourself most of the time. You don't even understand why you do what you do or why you did that. You ever ask yourself, why in the world did I do that? What was I thinking? You don't even understand yourself most of the time. So there's no one else in the world that completely understands you. And if you'll understand that the person you're relating to is completely different from you, it's when you think that they're just like you that you mistakenly think they understand everything about you and you expect them to understand everything about you. But the goal is not to understand everything about the person you're relating to. The goal is to be understanding, to really seek to understand by listening, by learning, knowing you're very different. And you'll always be very different. In fact, you have to re-understand each other all the time because you're always changing. They're always changing. So you're always seeking to understand every day, seeking to understand them a little better. But then there's the mountain of me first. It's just human nature to have a me first attitude and seek to meet my needs first. And the mountain of me first starts to get really high, turns into a mountain of selfishness that's hard to overcome. But the biggest obstacle to deep connection with the people closest to you is the mountain of mistakes. Most relationships never overcome the mountain of mistakes 
that pile up over time in any close relationship because we all let go of the rope at times and we let each other down and we hurt each other. And it's in those hurts that start tearing apart a relationship or bring healing that brings you closer together. The mountain of mistakes can turn into an avalanche of bitterness, a rock slide of shame and fear that really destroys a relationship. You see, every relationship starts out on a very smooth trail where everything's going fine, and then, boom, unexpectedly, you hit the mountain of misunderstanding, the mountain of me first and the mountain of mistakes, and you're totally unprepared to handle it. But even when you are prepared, we often feel powerless to overcome it. We often feel powerless to make it over those mountains, and that's why we need a climbing guide, a climbing guide who's been there before and who has the power to help us over the mountain. So I want you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter five because we're going to look at our climbing guide, Jesus Christ, as he preached the greatest sermon ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount. So would you stand in honor of God's word and just follow along with me. Matthew chapter five, beginning with verse one. When Jesus saw his ministry drawing huge crowds, he climbed a hillside. Those who were apprenticed to him, the committed, climbed with him. Arriving at a quiet place, he sat down and taught his climbing companions. And this is what he said. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Dear God, I thank you for this message. I thank you for these principles that really show us and give us the power to overcome all the obstacles that really separate us. And I, I pray right now that you would bring healing to relationships, healing to families, healing to marriages. I pray for everyone who's watching through our broadcast or online ministry, wherever they are, that you would just bring healing in their hearts and that you, Lord, would bring healing to all those at our satellite campuses, all those here in the woodlands, that, that you would just really speak to the depths of our hearts to show us that everything that we've learned from our culture is just the opposite of what it takes to build deep and strong relationships. And Lord, I thank you for all those who are hurting today, who've been wounded deeply in a marriage or in a family or a friendship. I thank you, Lord, that they're in a great place to experience your healing that only you can bring. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. You can be seated. You know, the most famous part of the Sermon on the Mount is the Beatitudes. And the Beatitudes come from the word beatus in the Latin, which means blessing. And, and that word, blessed, starts out every Beatitude. And the word blessed in the Hebrew is different from the blessings that God talks about. The blessings God talks about are those outward blessings, like he would bless the people when they obeyed and their crops would be good, or he would send rain, and, and there are those material blessings, financial blessings, but that's not what he's talking about here in the Beatitudes. He's talking about inner blessings. That word literally means, oh, how very happy. It's talking about ultimate inner joy, happiness, peace, fulfillment. It's the feeling you have when you're totally full of contentment. 
and full of life and peace, no matter what your circumstances are, rather than the feeling of being empty, like something's missing, gnawing emptiness, like there's got to be more than this, that emptiness that we feel so often and we're trying to fill it with things to take away the emptiness or anesthetize our pain to take away the emptiness. It's the feeling of total contentment and fullness, true inner happiness. And it's also the way to experience true happiness in your closest relationships. But it's just the opposite of what our culture says. Our culture says if you want happiness in your relationships, then everything's gotta be happening around you perfectly, and you gotta find just the perfect person, and, and you've got to follow your heart and follow your feelings, and, and you gotta meet your needs, you gotta look out for yourself. That's what our culture says, and Jesus said it's just the opposite. For you to really experience true happiness in your relationships, you gotta hit rock bottom. You can't climb to greatness in a relationship. You gotta descend into greatness. And so what I want us to do is take each one of these eight Beatitudes and look at them because it's amazing how they come together to show us what it takes to get over the mountain of misunderstanding, the mountain of mistakes, the mountain of me first, what it takes to get over any obstacle in our closest relationships. We've gotta follow what God says and we'll find his power. So the very first one is the poor in spirit beatitude. The poor in spirit beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit. And so what does that mean to be poor in spirit? It's not talking about physical poverty. It's not talking about financial poverty. It's talking about spiritual poverty. He's saying, you know, how truly happy are those who recognize how spiritually bankrupt they are and how powerless they are without God so that they can find God's power. I like the way the message paraphrase puts this first beatitude. It says, you're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there is more of God and his rule. When you're climbing and you come to the end of your rope, that doesn't seem like a very good thing. When you're climbing, and let's say you're just lowering yourself down of a 3,000 foot cliff face and you get to the end of your rope and there's 1,000 feet left, that's not good but it's when you come to the end of your rope and you realize you can't change that relationship. You've tried. You come to the end of your rope and you can't overcome that problem. You come to the end of your rope and you realize you can't fix this situation. You're at the end of your rope, but I want you to know it's at the end of your rope where you find real hope. It's only at the end of the rope where you find real hope because you find God's power. When you realize you don't have the power to make it over the mountain, and you come to the end of your rope, you're in a really good place. And by the way, one of the reasons why God designed family the way he did is because he wanted to use your family to bring you to the end of your rope so you'll discover his power because nothing brings you to the end of your rope like family, without a doubt. I mean, nothing brings you to the end of your rope like trying to live in close quarters with people who are very different from you, that have different needs and different annoying personality traits and character flaws, and, and you're not so hot yourself, and so you mix it all together, and it brings you to the end of your rope, and some of you are right there right now. And by the way, for those of you who are married, you will come to the end of your rope. 
There will be something come into your marriage that will bring you to the end of your rope because you can't do marriage without God's power. It's impossible. I mean, two imperfect, flawed, sinful people with different needs, different personalities, different backgrounds, and coming together to share everything. I mean, you can't do that without God's power. And so God designed it so that you have to come to the end of your rope, but you're at a good place when you come to the end of your rope. That's where God gives you his hope. And some of you are there right now, and you thought it was a bad thing. No, it's just a normal thing, and it's really good. Because, oh, how very happy are those who come to the end of the rope. And they choose not to bail, but they choose to let go of control and take hold of God and his power and his strength. Your only hope is at the end of the rope. I want you to look at one of the most beautiful and profound verses in all of Scripture. In Genesis 2, 25, it says, Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. So Adam and Eve were completely uncovered in the Garden of Eden. And of course, they were uncovered physically, but the Bible's talking about something so much deeper here. They were completely uncovered in their hearts. And this is a true picture of what it means to be in a soulmate relationship in the marriage relationship. Uh, totally accepted, total trust. For you, you see here, they weren't holding anything back. They weren't hiding anything. They were totally uncovered and yet totally loved. Completely uncovered, completely loved. And that's what God wants in the marriage relationship. But then sin entered the relationship and the cover-up started. In Genesis 3, 9, it says, but the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And so after Adam and Eve sinned, sin entered the relationship, and so did the great barriers to true connection, fear and shame. And so as soon as they sinned, they tried to cover up with the fig leaves, and they tried to cover up their faults and flaws, and they tried to cover up, and that's what we do. We try to cover up and we hide from God and hide from others because we don't want people to really know what we're like. And so we try to hide it, our faults and mess, because if you really know what I'm like, you may reject me. And so the great cover-up started. And folks, we all come into marriage with a mountain of mess. And we try to cover up that mountain of mess with some fig leaves. But one of the things that's certain about marriage is marriage will bring out your mess. You see, I can hide my mess from you because I, I don't see you very often. And so I can put on my best. I, I can hide my faults and flaws. I, I can hide them from you because I don't see you very often, so you see me at my best. But I can't hide the mountain of my mess from Chris. She can't hide her mess from me because marriage will bring out your mess, and that's the way God designed it. And when that mess comes out, the real you comes out. Now, the honeymoon stage can cover the mess for a little bit, but eventually the real you comes out. All your character flaws and unresolved issues and faults and sins and hang-ups, your mountain of mess will come out in the marriage relationship because marriage brings it to the forefront. And that's because God wants you to be able to stop hiding. You see, when the mountain of mess comes out, then it hurts the other, and, and you're hurt, 
and you both get hurt, and then it's in that hurt that you can experience healing, and it's in that hurt that you stop hiding. When the mountain of mess comes out, you stop hiding, and God wants you to bring you back to uncovered and unashamed. He wants to bring you back to the place where you know the good, bad, and the ugly, and, le- and yet you're totally loved. Where you know everything about each other, the good, bad, and the awful, and the mountain of mess is revealed, and yet totally loved. That's uncovered and unashamed. And that's why God allows the mess. The problem is we don't realize we're at the end of our rope when we are, and so it usually takes us losing our footing, falling, getting hurt desperately, hitting rock bottom and looking up and go, wow, I guess I was at the end of my rope a little bit ago. Now I realize it. Usually it takes us hitting rock bottom before God can lift us up. So if you're at rock bottom right now, you're in a great place to look up to God the end of your rope, you'll find God's hope. Well, then let's look at the second beatitude because they all go together. In verse four, it says, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. When you really grieve your brokenness and how it hurts others in your life, then you find healing. Then you can find God's comfort and true happiness in that healing. True happiness in being comforted by God and others. I like the way the message paraphrase puts this beatitude In verse four, you're blessed when you feel you've lost what is most dear to you. Only then can you be embraced by the one most dear to you. When you lose your grip on what you're holding onto so tightly that you're crushing the life out of it, then and only then will you fall into the arms of the only one who will never let you go. And that's how you discover that true happiness is when you begin to grieve the brokenness in your life and the hurts and the wounds and how you wound others and you hurt with your spouse, and you hurt with your teenager, and you hurt with a parent, and you begin to hurt with that friend, that's when you find healing. But we don't like to hurt, and we don't like to get into anyone else's hurt. We wanna hurry their hurt up because we want them to be happy. Not true happiness, but just a outward fake happiness because it's hard for us to deal with hurt. You see, it's in marriage and our family relationships where we experience the most hurt, but it's also where we can experience the greatest healing if we will face the hurt. See, when you're hurt, you can let the hurt tear you apart or you can let the hurt bring you to a great healing. If you turn into the hurt, we run away from our hurt. But the only way God says here to experience healing is you gotta run into the pain. You gotta run into the pain. It's just the opposite of what we think we ought to do. We're always running from our hurt, anesthetizing our hurt and pain, trying not to think about it, but that's when it hurts us even more and it brings devastation to others. But when we run into the pain, we step into the light, we admit our pain. When we grieve our pain, that's when we find God's healing. And that's why in a marriage relationship, you can count on the fact you're gonna hurt each other. But you can't run from that hurt, ignore that hurt. You have to step into it. And by the way, the only way you Heal together is you learn how to hurt together. And most of us men, if you're like me men, you're not very good at learning how to hurt together. You see, one of the greatest mistakes I've made in our marriage is always trying to make my wife happy. You know, it's like, you know, I want her to be happy. I feel like it's my job to make her happy. And so I was always looking to make Chris happy. And Chris always says, I don't want you to make me happy. I just want you to connect with me. 
And many times when she's hurting, I just want to do things that will make her happy. And it does just the opposite because it shows that I'm not connected to her. And husbands, your job is not to make your wife happy. Your job is to get in the hurt with her when she's hurting. And that's what heals. That's what heals you both, is when you get into the hurt with her, if you're always just trying to make her happy and you ignore your hurts and you ignore her hurts, then it just tears you apart. But in the hurt, you find great healing. If you face the hurt, run into the hurt, run into the pain together, it's an amazing thing. Find true happiness. If you stop trying to make each other happy, you can't make another person happy. Those are needs only God can meet, the true happiness, but you can learn to be in the hurt and experience true happiness and healing from God. Well, I want us to look at the next one, three. They all go together. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Underline the word meek. Be honest and tell me what you think of when you think of the word meek. Well, that man is really meek. What do you think of? You think of someone weak, wimpy, lets everyone walk over them. The word meek has lost all its original meaning in our culture. Uh, that word meek in the Greek language literally means strength under control. And that's what we need today because we have an epidemic of out-of-control men and women, out-of-control anger, out-of-control lust, out-of-control selfishness, out-of-control. And so God wants to put his strength in us under control, and you can't get your life in control. You can't get control of your life by trying to do everything you need to do and, and get control of your life and everyone else around you. No, but you can place your life under Christ's care and control. The more you try to get control of your life, the more it spins out of control. When you place your life under Christ's care and control, you find his power, strength under control. And you stop trying to control your spouse. You stop trying to control the people in your life. And by the way, how do you know if you're meek, strength under control? You stop trying to change your spouse and you start cherishing your spouse. Now they may need to change. They may have a lot of areas of life they need to change, but you need to make changes too. And so you stop trying to change them and you start cherishing them and it provides an atmosphere where you both can change. And you're trusting God and his power. And so meekness is not weakness, it's strength under control. Well, let's look at the next one, the fourth beatitude, verse six. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for God's approval, they will be satisfied. Underline the words God's approval. One of the worst mistakes you can make is trying to please each other in a marriage relationship. Trying to please your kids in a parenting relationship. That destroys them. Trying to please everyone in your workplace. Trying to please, you're doing something, you're trying to do something that not even God can do. I mean, a couple of days ago when it rained really hard, that was an answer to prayer for some farmers who've been praying, God, we need more rain, would you just bring the rain, and, and the rain came, and they're going, God, thank you, you love us so much, you're so good to our family. And then there was others that were having a family reunion, they'd planned for a year on that day, and it just got rained out, but they'd been praying, God, please clear the weather. You know, I know you love our family, and God just poured the rain, and they're like, God, why do you hate us? You know, and it's like, why did you allow this? And so, so if you're trying to please people, you're trying to do something even God can do. He can't please everyone. And that's not your job. 
Your job in the marriage relationship is not to please the other person, it's to connect with them, to love them. Job is not to please them. And so when I began to start pleasing God rather than people, what happens is we grow closer to God. When Chris and I are both trying to please God rather than each other, then we find pleasure and fulfillment in our relationship. Uh, then we find a closeness that takes the pressure off of us because we're not trying to please and we're not trying to meet needs that only God can. It's God's approval. Well, then let's look at the next beatitude. The fifth one, verse seven, blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. This is all about forgiveness. And every close relationship requires lots of forgiveness because you hurt each other. Ephesians 4.32 says, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God has forgiven you because you belong to Christ. We're to choose to forgive. Whenever you're hurt, you can't hold on to the hurt, you choose to forgive. Not because you feel like it, because you never feel like it. Not because they deserve it, because they never deserve it. But you choose to forgive for your own sake because Christ commands it. Because when I say, God, I don't feel like it, they hurt me, but I choose by your power to forgive them, then the bitterness is released. The bitterness stops building up. And a lot of people don't wanna forgive because they confuse forgiveness and trust. And they're two different things. They think if I forgive them, then I have to trust them again and they'll break my heart again. I can't forgive, and so, no, you're to forgive instantly, but it takes time to build trust back. And that's why the Beatitudes are so amazing, because the very next Beatitude has to do with building trust back. You forgive first, you choose to forgive, whether you feel like it or not, for your own sake, so the bitterness is released, and you keep forgiving and choosing to forgive and choosing to forgive. It's the only way you build a deep relationship. You keep choosing to forgive, but it doesn't mean that you instantly trust again. No, it takes time to build trust back. That's why the Beatitudes are amazing because here Jesus probably preached this thing in 10 minutes at the most, and it was the most profound message ever preached. And, you know, here I just keep going on and on, and it's not very profound, you know? And that's why I'm so impressed. I'm so impressed with the Beatitudes. It's so amazing, you know, what Christ has done here. And I want you to get it. It says in the sixth beatitude, verse eight, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Underline pure in heart, that's just the truth. Blessed are those who walk in the truth, tell the truth, get out of the shadows and are truthful about themselves, always stepping out of the shadows and not hiding deep hurts and faults and sins, and stepping into the truth, stepping into the truth, because that's how you build trust back, is truth, and it takes time. Truth, 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 to overcome the hurt to overcome the times that you lied, to overcome the mistrust. Truth, truth, truth builds trust back. It's only in truth that trust is built back over time. It says in John 8, 32, Jesus said, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. When you know the truth, live in the truth, the truth sets you free. It's the only thing that does because whenever you hide something, then it grows and it festers. You have to bring it into the light for the light to disinfect it and take it away, and take all its power away, take all the fear away, take all the guilt away. And when you do that, the truth will set you free. The truth will set you free, but it'll make you miserable at first. All the things that we think are gonna be horrible and take away our happiness are the very things that we have to run into 
They're difficult. They're hard, but you run into them, and it sets you free, and you find happiness and fulfillment and peace. All the things that you're longing for, it's just the opposite of what culture says. The seventh beatitude, verse 9, you're blessed when you can show people how to cooperate instead of compete or fight. That's when you discover who you really are and your place in God's family. You see, when you get to the place with God's power where you want your mate to grow and to change and, to, and you want them to go to new levels and you root for them and you, you belay them so they can go up and then they belay you so you can come up and you, you're not worried about, wait a minute, I'm meeting your needs 55%. I mean, I'm putting 55% into this marriage and you're only putting 45%. And when you stop keeping score, and you're like, I want to give 100%. And, and when you're both giving 100%, that's the only way marriage works best. But, but you choose to give 100% regardless of what they're going to do, and that's a great risk. And so you want, you, when you come to the place with God's power where you're not keeping score anymore, and you just want the best for them, and you're trying to bring out the best in them, and you're not worried the higher they go, then that means you're going to go lower. No. You realize that. God's going to take care of you, but you want to lift them up. And for some of you who are married, you need to hear this. Your mate is not your enemy. Your mate is not your enemy. You're on the same team. For goodness sake, I mean, what are you doing fighting each other all the time? I mean, your enemy is Satan. Your, your enemy is all the things coming at you, but you're on the same team. And, and if you take them down, you go down. Don't you understand that, that you're attached? I mean, you're attached, the rope is attached. I want you, for those of you who are married, would you do me a favor, would you turn to your spouse, if they're here right now, and would you say, we're on the same team? We're on the same, do it right now, we're on the same team. Now don't look to someone you don't know and say that, okay? <laughs> a single adult down here going, oh, this is awesome, I'm sitting next to this gal, and we're on the same team? No, you're not. You're not on the same team. Come back to reality. But so as you're married, do it right now. We're on the same team. Do it. We're on the same team. Even though you're sitting on the other side of the auditorium because we had an argument. We're on the same team. <laughs> Just realize it. And then turn to them and say, you're not the devil. You're not the devil. I got confused. I mean, we act like our mate is our enemy. You're on the same team. You're connected. Your success is connected. Your inner happiness is connected, and you have to realize it, so you build them up. You encourage them to greatness. That's what this beatitude is all about. But then I want you to see the eighth and final beatitude in verse 10. You're blessed when your commitment to God provokes persecution. The persecution drives you even deeper into God's kingdom. Underline that word commitment. You're blessed when you're so committed to God that no matter what happens, you're even more committed. And you're blessed when you're so committed to your spouse and marriage, when you're so committed to your family, when you're so committed in a friendship that even when it gets tough, you get more committed rather than bailing. That's what commitment is, it's the foundation for any deep relationship. And it has to be there because there's a lot of pain and hurt and there are a lot of mountains to face and at the first sign of a mountain, if you cut and run, if that's an option, you'll take it. And so you have to say, we are committed. 
Chris and I have always emphasized our commitment to each other by saying this, you're stuck with me. You're stuck with me. And we remind each other all the time, you're stuck with me. I mean, if I go down, you go down. You're stuck with me. You're stuck with me. And that means we just got to work it out. We're stuck with each other. We're committed to each other in love. And that provides the foundation to change, to grow, the foundation to be honest and real. That provides the foundation to walk through hurt together no matter how long it takes. That provides the foundation. You're stuck with me. We're stuck with each other no matter what. That's why when Ruth Graham, Billy Graham's wife, was asked, did you ever once consider divorce? Even though you and Billy went through some really difficult times early on, he was always gone in ministry, and many times he, he admitted he put ministry over his family, and he regretted that. And, and she was asked, was there any time you considered divorce? She said, never, not once did I ever consider divorce. Murder, yes, many times, but I never, ever... And I thought, that's a beautiful picture of a committed, they had a committed marriage. Yes, we wanted to kill each other many, many times, but we had to work it out because we were stuck with each other. That's what it means to be committed. I think about how the cross is really the key to healing because all the Beatitudes really add up to the cross. The cross was just the opposite of what you'd think. The disciples even thought he was coming to be the king of kings, the Lord of lords here on this earth and set up his kingdom here on this earth. And yet he goes to the cross and he dies, a criminal's death. Makes no sense, but that's what brought healing to all of us. And there are seven places that Christ shed his blood that I want us to focus in on that provide healing in our closest relationships. The first place that he shed his blood was the Garden of Gethsemane. The Bible said he sweat drops of blood as he carried on him the anguish the agony of knowing he was getting ready to go to the cross to take on and carry the sins of the world. And, and so the anguish caused him to sweat drops of blood and his disciples, while he was carrying this anxiety and this burden, were asleep because they weren't really connected to him. They didn't really get it. And he was all alone. You ever felt all alone? No one else really gets it, the pain you're going through? Jesus was carrying this burden and doctors say that that it's possible to sweat drops of blood if you're under so much duress and so much anguish and anxiety that it bursts the capillaries you know, in your skin and, and it mixes in the sweat glands and it comes out, the sweat comes out as blood. And that's what Jesus did. He bled in the garden. It's interesting that the first place Jesus bled was in a garden and the first place we lost our innocence was in a garden. And Jesus sweat drops of blood in that garden so that we no longer have to hide. That blood washes away all of our hiding places and we can step into the light and the healing that Christ offers so that we can get back to uncovered and unashamed. I want you to think about the second place that Christ shed his blood. He was whipped, he was scourged, and the Roman soldiers were used what they called a cat of nine tails, a whip with nine other whips coming out from it with bone fragments really sharp tied on the end so that when they would whip someone, those bone fragments would dig into someone's back and they would rip out chunks of flesh. So after 39 lashes with a cat of nine tails, all the skin on his back would have been ripped off all the way, even some of the muscle because they would dig in, sometimes an inch deep, and they would pull off chunks of flesh and it reminds me in relationships, many times we get stabbed in the back. Our trust is betrayed and we never saw it coming. It's when we trust because we allow people to get close and, and when you really love someone, then you're risking allowing them to hurt you deeply and, and we get hurt deeply and 
Jesus bled from his back so that we cover all of our wounds of betrayal, all of our hurts. Think about it. The Bible says by his wounds, by his stripes, we are healed. He brings healing through his blood. The next place Jesus bled was he was bruised and beaten. He had internal bleeding. He was bruised and beaten badly. And I think about all the things that we carry so deep within us, all of the sins and faults and flaws that we carry so deep, all the wounds and the hurts from our past that we carry so deep in our lives. He bled deeply to heal our deepest wounds so that we could be in deep relationships. And he wants to heal your relationships that way with his blood. The next place that he bled is they put together a crown made of thorns. And I've seen the thorn bush that was turned into the crown of thorns and those thorns are really long and they pressed it upon his head and, and then his scalp bled and just covered his face. Thorns represent something. Remember when Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, God cast them out and he said, no longer will it be easy for your farming, but the earth is now gonna produce thorns and thistles. The thorns represented the consequences of their sin. And the thorns represent the consequences of our sin. And the consequence is shame and fear. And Jesus took the consequence of our sin, the shame and the fear, upon his head, upon his brow, and he bled so that all of our shame, all of our fear can be washed away, so that we can be uncovered and unashamed. The next place he bled was his hands. The next place was his feet. And he took the nails in his hands and his feet so that he could say, my arms are open wide to you. Because every time you've been rejected and haven't been received, every time someone has closed off their heart to you, every time someone has said, no, you're reaching out to me, but I'm not reaching out to you. He said, I'm reaching out to you and I'm bleeding to reach out to you to cover all the hurts of rejection that you've had in your life. And then the last place he bled was in his side. The Bible says they took a spear and pierced his side and blood and water flowed out. Now the way most died with crucifixion was asphyxiation because what would happen is to breathe, you would have to push yourself up on the nails in your feet and you would push yourself up so you could get a breath. But if you couldn't push yourself up any longer and you're too tired, then your, your lungs would collapse and, and you would die because you couldn't get oxygen. And so they tried to hurry up the death of the criminals on each side of Christ and they broke their legs so that they would quickly die. And they would die of asphyxiation. But Jesus, when they came to him, they noticed it looked like he was already dead so they put a spear in his side just to make sure and blood and water flowed out and doctors tell us that blood and water flowing out from your side means that your heart is burst. Just arteries and heart, everything just collapsed, burst. And so, of course, Jesus died of a broken heart so that he could heal you of your broken heart. He died of a broken heart so he could heal you from all your hurts and sins and all of your wounds so that he could be in a relationship with you and so you could be in a deep relationship with others. It was his blood that flowed from the cross that heals us completely. So I want us to bow our heads right now and with your head bowed, I want you to think about what love is. If I ask you the question, what is real love? 
Here's the picture of it in 1 John 3, 16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. When you look at the cross, you see what real love is. And it gives us the healing we need to be in healing relationships with others. So let's pray together. Dear God, I pray for those right now who are hurting. I pray for those, Lord, who are wounded in a relationship. Those, Lord, who feel the sting of betrayal. Those, Lord, who feel the, the wounds, Lord, of conflict. Those, Lord, right now who feel the pain from all the hurt. Just let them know that they're in a really good place for healing. And let them know, Lord, if they're at the end of their rope, that they're right there where they need to be to experience ultimate fulfillment in your power and strength. Lord, I pray that every one of us would realize right now that we're at the end of our rope all the time without you. We need you every day. Help us, Lord, to really study these beatitudes and put them into our lives so that we'll always know how poor in spirit we are without you, but how powerful we are with you. And we thank you, Lord, for your healing. Work miracle healings, Lord here at the Woodlands campus, at all of our campuses, that those watching online or through our broadcast ministry, work healing as only you can in Jesus' name. Heal marriages, heal families. Bring the hearts of teenagers back to parents and parents back to their teenagers. Lord, bring healing for generations. Bring healing as only you can and heal broken hearts. Lord, we know that so many have gone through that pain of rejection. And I know, Lord, that in marriage it takes two to follow you. It takes two, and if one chooses to bail out, there's not a lot the other one can do. And Lord, we know that you hate divorce, but you don't hate those who've gone through the pain of divorce. You love them so much. And I pray that you would just bring healing, Lord, to their hearts. That you would bring healing like only you can. And I pray especially for those who've never received you, that they would right now say, Jesus Christ, I'm at the end of my rope. I give up. I let go and allow you to take hold of me and never let me go, to come into my life, to forgive me of my sins and take me to heaven one day. Be the Lord of my life and help me, Lord. Lay down my life for others around me so I can find it. For it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, now we're at the part of our service where we give back to God and I just wanna really encourage you to worship through giving. You know, giving is... One of the most important parts of our service, we worship through our singing, we worship through our Bible teaching, but we worship through our giving. And our giving really connects us to the Lord. Because wherever your treasure is, there your heart is also, the Bible says. And so maybe you've never given in a church. I encourage you, give. Give, and you'll see how it connects your heart in such a powerful way. And then I would say for you regular attenders, make sure you make your giving a habit. Put God first. And there are different ways to do that so that you don't just give when you feel like it or when you have it with you, you, you give as if it's more important than your mortgage payment. We have our Push Pay app, you can give from your cell phone, your smartphone, you can give online, you can set it up that way. Um, there are a lot of ways to get it set up, or you can just give in the offering, but give and make it a habit. Because wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And the Bible says, whatever area you put me first in, I bless you in. It talks about those blessings how he meets your material needs, but more importantly, he gives you a blessed life where you find there's more blessedness in giving than in receiving. Lord, bless our giving right now. Thank you, Lord, that you give us the opportunity to experience blessing through our giving. That when we hold on, Lord, we don't really hold on to anything. 
we lose it. But when we let go, you give us back everything we need. Thank you, Lord. Bless our giving in Jesus' name, amen. Yeah. Hey, Woodlands Church, next weekend is Mother's Day weekend. I'm just reminding you guys, I'm giving you a heads up. It's gonna be a great weekend at church. Hey, and by the way, Woodlands Worship, the whole album is out now. It just came out and all the platforms, Spotify, uh, uh, Apple Music, um, Google, whatever, Amazon. And um, I've got a couple of CDs. We're gonna have the CDs and the vinyls in the bookstore next weekend. Um, but here's a couple of them early. Seven original songs. Those are painful if they hit you. Seven original songs and three covers, and God's already using it. It's going up, up the charts like crazy, and it's been a real miracle of God, how God's getting out in churches all over the country. God bless you. We love you, Woodlands Church. Have a great week. Hey, church. Thanks for listening to the Woodlands Church with Carrie Shook podcast. By listening, we hope that you're encouraged wherever you are. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast so that you can get the latest messages each week. For more information on Woodlands Church, check out the description for a link to our website and how to connect with us. We hope you have a great week.